But uh, to me, I'm not really preaching on anything that's linked to the, the, the notices and the video that we've just had, but to me, it, it's, it's so exciting that, that we watch a video and, and we're, we're looking at different parts of the world and we're looking at India and we're looking at South Africa and we're, we're not mentioning other countries, but, but we're part of it and that's part of us. And, and then we're hearing about a social food enterprise that we do in the city of Hull and, and it may be the first time that we're hearing about some of the activities and that's part of us as well. And, and we're going to talk today about, about God's righteousness, about God's holiness. We're going to talk about faith. And we're going to talk about the fact that there's nothing we can do that earns God's favor. There's nothing we can do. But when we have God's favor, we find ourselves doing things. And all these things that we're hearing about are just simply people like me and like you who, because they have chosen to put Jesus number one, because they have chosen to live their lives for God rather than their lives for themselves, they find their lives transformed. And instead of living for themselves, they live a life serving God, and a life serving God ends up serving others and doing great things. And we're part of that. But I'm not speaking about that particularly. So, so good morning. My, my name is Mark. I, I have the privilege of serving as part of the leadership here at Jubilee. And if this is your first time or you're a visitor or you've just been a few times, you're, you're very welcome this morning. I want you to know that, that we love having you here. We love having visitors. At the end of the meeting, we have teas and coffees. We'd love you to stay, to connect with us, to find out more about Jubilee. And we've been looking at the book of Genesis for a few weeks now and been looking at some big themes. Um, I'm just going to try and make this a bit higher. If Ooh. Now I'm going to make it a little bit lower. <laughs> and we've been looking at some big themes in Genesis. Uh, and today we're going to focus on Genesis 6 and 7. And uh, if I could just have slide 2, please. So in Genesis 6 and 7, we're going to, we're going to look at some big themes. We're going to look at sin and destruction. We're going to look at grace, faith, and deliverance. And I'm going to start by reading quite a big section. We're going to read from the start of chapter 6 up to 7, verse 10. So by all means, feel free to follow along if you've got a Bible. If you've not, feel free to listen to my slightly dulcet Lancastrian tones. When human beings began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that these daughters were beautiful and they married any of them they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with human beings forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterwards. When the sons of God went to the daughters of the human beings and had children by them, they were the heroes of old, men of renown. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created. With them, the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I made them. 
But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of the time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on the earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make for yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you to build it. The ark's to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high all around. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle and upper decks. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has breath in it, everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you. And you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You're to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, every kind of animal, and every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. Noah did everything just as the Lord commanded him. The Lord then said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of every clean animal, a male and its mate, and one pair of every kind of unclean animal, a male and its mate, and also seven pairs of every kind of bird, male and female, to keep their various kinds alive throughout the earth. Seven days from now, I will send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights, and I'll wipe from the face of the earth every living creature I have made. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters came on the earth, and Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Pairs of clean and unclean animals, of birds and of all creatures that move along the ground, male and female, came to Noah and entered the ark, as God had commanded Noah. And after the seven days, the floodwaters came on the earth. So that's quite a chunk. If we could just have the next slide. And before we get into those themes, I thought we'd just have a little bit of trivia, a little bit of general knowledge. We, we sometimes see a, a picture of the ark with the giraffe sticking its head out the top and, and in our minds can have a slightly romanticised picture of a, of a small vessel made of wood um, with, with a dove with a little bit of olive uh, in its beak sitting on the top of the giraffe and, and Noah with a big robe on and, and a smile on his face at the front like, like Captain Birdseye. Um, so, so there are two life-size replicas of the ark built. Um, this is one that's in America. There's another one that's, that's somewhere in Holland. And uh, it, it's, not, it's not a boat. 
Noah wasn't may asked to build a boat. It's, it's, it's a wooden structure that simply holds things uh, and can float. It's, it's what it says. It's an ark. An ark literally is just a store chest. Um, we're not going to get into how many elephants were they. Was there one kind of elephant or were they African elephants and Indian elephants side by side? But in terms of size, you could fit 136,000 sheep in half of this vessel. And the other half of the vessel could be just dedicated to, to food and humans. So 136,000 is a lot of sheep. The average size of a mammal is 15 pounds in weight. The average size. And mammals are larger by weight than, than, than other land creatures in terms of average size. We know there are millions of varieties of animals on the planet. But something like 80% of all those species are different types of beetle. So we're talking about a huge thing. We're not talking about a romanticized picture. But today we're not focusing on the detail of the ark and how the animals got to the ark and, and how the lions didn't eat the sheep. Um, so if we can have the next slide. We're going to talk about sin. We're going to talk about what was happening at the time of the ark the story that we've got to now in, in Genesis, or the account, um, and we're going to link it to, to what we've already heard about Adam and about Cain, but perhaps more importantly, we're going to link it to ourselves. We started this series with Steve talking about Adam and the fall, and, and, and Steve probably was about here, and, and he, he said basically it came down to this. Adam said, Adam said, not your will, but my will. Not your command to not eat from that tree, but my decision, my conscious choice to do the opposite of what you said and to live my life by the rules that I design for my life. And that was contrasted Adam with Jesus, who in the Garden of Gethsemane prophetically knelt and said, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. And we saw that something in the heart of man, man planted in the garden by God, defaulted to rather than enjoying the freedom, the close companionship with God, chose instead to follow his own path. And last week, last week I, I wasn't here, so I heard, I heard Dan on the internet and, uh, and I'm pleased we showed the video again because the video is better for watching than hearing on the internet. But last week, uh, Dan shared about Cain and, and about Cain's reaction to God and about Cain's decision to do what he wanted to do. And in both cases, when we're looking at Adam and we're looking at Cain, we looked at the Father God as, as man was sinning, as as Cain and Adam were choosing to follow their own way. And in both cases, we saw the care and the attention of a grieving father. A father who did not abandon Adam, who did not abandon Cain, but instead had a pastoral heart to guide them and to care for them and to set them through their sin, to set them onto a better path. But here now we read... A couple of generations later, that actually 
despite that loving intervention from God at the point of sin in Adam, at the point of sin in Cain, despite that pastoral father's heart, sin is not dealt with. In fact, sin has spread and has multiplied. And as humans multiply, so does sin. And if you can have the next slide. We read about the people here. And uh, as humans increase, sin increases. And, and, I, and I just want to say a few things about, uh, about this particular part of the Bible. We know... In its essence, sin is simply this, saying, not your will, but my will. It's, it's putting ourselves first. It's living our lives for ourselves. There's a famous preacher, A.W. Tozer. He's gone to be with the Lord some time ago. But he says this. He says, in the heart of a human, there is a throne. And on that throne, there's either the Lord or the human. And it's as simple as that. In the heart of every person, there's a throne. And that throne is either occupied by God or it's occupied by the person themselves. And at the heart of these people, at the heart of um, the sin that we read about in Genesis, that is, that is the very issue. But there's a couple of features about this that I, I want to, to, to highlight this morning. The first one is this, that there's a specific linking of sin and marriage in this passion of in this um, portion of scripture there's a specific linking of sin spreading and multiplying and the marriage choices people make and there's something about the way god planned for family to be and we heard about uh, God and his plans for humanity and sexuality just a couple of weeks ago. And, and I was challenged. You know, Dan, Dan was preaching. Dan said, you know, when you become born again, when you choose to follow Christ, a result of that should be that you end up with more LGBTQ plus friends than you had before. Because as you change, as you receive, as you receive from Christ a new heart, you develop a compassion for people. You develop an awareness that we are not judges. We are people who are ambassadors of Christ. And as that internal change happens, we find we connect with people in society that perhaps we didn't connect with quite so strongly before. But at the same time, God has a particular plan for the role of sex in the life of humans. And that role of sex is between a man and a woman in the institution of marriage. And, and within that institution of marriage, and like I said, there's, you know, there's no judgment for, for Christians to judge other people on their sexuality. And, and even more so, there's no judgment for the type of family that people were brought up in. But there's something in the heart of God, the, the plan of God, which is to say... A sexual relationship is between a man and a woman in a marriage. And it's that relationship which is to bring forth children. And to bring forth children that can be schooled. That can be brought up in the knowledge of God. And brought up to love God. And to enjoy a secure relationship with God. And what we see here is we see people choosing their marriage partner. Not by saying, God, you know, who is... 
Who is the partner for me? Who is the person for me to spend my life with? What is the godly connection for me to make? But instead, people are choosing just simply their own choice, just simply with their human eyes. The, the word carnal, the word carnal is, is often associated with sex, but it, it simply means the flesh. It means, it means living by our senses, what we can see, taste, hear, touch, and smell. And, and we actually get a bit more illumination into how people will live in if we, if we look not in this passage in Genesis, but in the New Testament, in Romans 1 and 20 and 21. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, been understood uh, from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. People chose to live a life aside from God. If we could have the next slide. And uh, if we could just look at the, the bottom scripture on this slide, which is, you know, in Matthew 24. It says, For as were the days of Noah, there will be a coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. They were people that were living a life that was separate from God. They were under judgment. Their lifestyle was bringing them to destruction. But they were so focused on their lifestyle, their choices, and not on God that they didn't even know. They were completely unaware that they were heading towards destruction. They were not living a spiritual life. You know, what one, one commentator wrote, said, What reigns in the heart of man is not homage to God, not to the truth, to right, to love. In fact, it, it's, it's exactly the opposite. It says, Every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was, was only evil at this time. And it, it, it's important for us to grasp this. It's important for us to grasp the full effect of living a life away from God. Because the next portion where we read that God said, I will wipe people from the face of the planet can be hard to read. For God to say, I will blot out what I have created can be hard for us to get our head around. How can the act of a loving father be to be removed all the people that he has created and all the animals that he has created for them from the planet. How, how can that be? Surely, surely, I know these people are living for themselves, but surely it's not bad enough to just destroy them all. Surely there's something intrinsically noble in people that's worth keeping. Surely it's not. God must be, it's a bit harsh, isn't it? God must be making a mistake of some kind. It must in some way be going against his nature. Although they're the kind of thoughts that lots of people can entertain. But if we fully grasp the utter futility and depravity of sin, it suddenly makes sense. That God is not 
a capricious God who's saying, I've just had enough. I'm going to start again. But God is a grieving father who simply says, this is terrible. This is, is something which is going to erode and destroy itself. And the best thing I can do as a father is to say, enough. It has to stop. It has to go. This cannot be. It is simply too horrendous to exist. And, and I think some of the ways that, that find us hard, when we, when we kind of like try to imagine, surely it wasn't that bad, is, is we, we look through our own eyes. You know, we've just watched a video of great things going on around the world. We've just heard about great things going on in this city of Hull. You know, and we can say, oh, Hull's a broken city and, and there's so much bad and there's so much injustice. But actually... There's so much of the agency of Christ in Hull that whenever, even when we look at the darkest areas of Hull, we don't have to scratch very far before we find a gospel influence. You know, the most depraved areas of humanity that we experience as New Testament people, as people living in 2019, the most depraved areas of the world that we experience still have the influence of Christ. But what we're reading about is we're reading about what happens if that influence comes out completely. We're reading about what happens if only our own natures allows us to construct a society. And the other thing is, when we think about it, not only do we sometimes not fully understand that the most deprived the most depraved, the worst things we can think about in this setting, in our lifetimes, still have an influence of Christ. The other thing is, our standards towards sin are just too low. You know, our own standards towards sin are just, you know, we think, oh yeah, you know, we're called to live a righteous life and, 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 and this is God's standard and we want to live by this standard. But actually... This is God's standard. It's, God's standard is, you know, it says in the Bible, you know, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. And we, we have something of Christ inside of us, but we also have our own thoughts and our own emotions clouding our ability to see sin in the same way that God sees sin. So if, uh, if we could have the next slide. We read that God regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart is deeply troubled. And the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created and with them the animals, the birds, the creatures that move along the ground for I regret that I have made them. And you might think, well, you know, I get it. I, you know, all right. The people have to go, but surely the animals, the little animals, you know, the little cute little things, surely they're okay. And, and yes, animals don't sin. Animals are not deprived or depraved in any way. But the purpose of animals, we see, is they're created for us. They're God's creation for us. And, and in, in many ways, because we are created to rule over and eat if we choose to the animals 
That gives us a stewardship. That gives us a responsibility. You know, you might think, you know, God has saved me. I need to be kind and wonderful and open-hearted to all of the humans, but I can still kick my dog if I feel like it. And like, no, we can't. As, as Christians, we have to be kind to animals. We, we don't have to uh, be a vegan extreme. If, if, if we choose to be vegan, we can be. But, but we have to care for and look after and treat well animals. And that can include rearing them for food and then eating them. But it must be done well. And, and the purpose of animals is for us. So as humans, as God says, I need to remove the humans with them. I need to remove the animals and the birds because it's part of my creation. That phrase there, it says, I will wipe out. You know, in another translation is to blot. Another translation is to, to erase. You know, you're, you're doodling or you write something with a pencil. It's not quite right. You've not formed it correctly. You take a rubber. Uh, obviously, you would get a Mars plastic rubber available at Sainsbury's. They're the best type to buy. But you, you, you rub that thing and it's as if it were never there. You can start again. You can start again with a blank sheet. So this is, you know, I would say the reluctant act of a loving father. But I think what we need to really understand is there is nothing good in the human nature. There is nothing good in the heart of humans, the intrinsic way in which we would live. You know, it says something about... Um, in Adam, all have sinned and therefore all, all head towards destruction. But, it, but it's actually this, it's we are all the same as Adam, so we have all sinned. I'm not a sinner because Adam was a sinner. I was a sinner because I was the same as Adam. You were a sinner not because of Adam's sin. It wasn't Adam's sin that tarnished you. It wasn't Adam's sin that made you not good enough. It was the fact that you were the same as Adam, that you also made the same mistake, that you also were covered in your own sin. And then, if we can have the next slide, we have perhaps the best word ever, but. But. And what I want us to understand today is, is we're not, we're not good intrinsically we get it wrong you know we we choose to sin and we fall short of everything that God would need us to be that was in his heart when he created us we're not there we we all have got it wrong the people we meet are all getting it wrong and the result of that should be destruction the result of that should be that it just cannot continue. That the loving Father, God says, this cannot be. It has to be annihilated. It has to be destroyed. But God finds a way to take that impending destruction, take what needs to happen and say, I am going to find a way to make sure that this does not need to happen to you. I am going to find a way to stay that destruction. 
I am going to find a way to make sure that everything that you deserve, everything that should happen to you, does not need to happen to you. And that's the story of Noah. It's, it's a story of faith and grace and salvation. It's not a story of sin and destruction. It's simply a statement that sin leads to death. But it doesn't need to. It doesn't need to. But Noah found favor in the eyes of God. And you think, so, so we've read so much about the fact that the heart of man, that humans just get it wrong, just choose the wrong things. What is it about Noah that made him righteous? What is it about Noah? How can we be like, like Noah? And we read in the New Testament that it's not what he did. It's not something special about his heart. It's not something that made him sin-free. He was created and formed in the same way as everyone else, the same way as Adam and the same way as you and me. He wasn't some superstar that was able to lead, lead a life without sin. What was special about him was he put his faith in God. And it says, it says in Hebrews 11:7, you know, by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. So it says, you know, in that verse above in Genesis 6, Noah found favor. Another word for favor is grace. Noah found grace. And grace is, is often explained as, as the letters G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace is the unmerited favor of God towards people. We are the same as Noah. We can have faith in God and by having faith in God, we find favor, we find grace. By having faith in God, the destruction that we deserve, the destruction that has to happen to us because of our sinful nature does not need to happen. We can be delivered from that. We can be delivered not because of what we've done, but because we simply choose to put our faith in God. And as we put our faith in God, because of the sacrifice Christ made, his grace can cover all our sin, all our failed nature. And it says it, you know, in Romans 1.17, For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. There's no way to work our way towards God. There's no way to make ourselves good enough. You know, there's no self-improvement plan. If, if there were, it would be a zillion, zillion steps. You know, there's no 10 steps here and, and a zillion, zillion steps and we still would need a zillion, zillion more steps to get righteous with God. We can't, we can't make ourselves righteous. We can't earn our righteousness. But by faith, we can receive righteousness. And Noah, Noah put his faith in God. And, and because of that, was able to be delivered from destruction. And in the same way we can put our faith in Christ, and in the same way we can be delivered from destruction. But I just want to say this, if we can move to the next slide. It's not about works. 
It's not about doing stuff. We're human beings. We're not human doings. It's about a heart response to God. You know, as Steve said, Adam said, not your will be mine. And Jesus said, not my will be yours. As we find faith, faith is just simply this. It's saying, in my life, that throne... I, I get up, Lord, I'm going to take, get myself off the throne in my own life and say, Lord, come into, come into my life and be Lord of my life. It's, it's like the old uh, joke that the preacher said. The preacher said, you know, a man's driving along and he sees Jesus by the side of the road hitchhiking. And the, and the man stops the car and said, do you want a lift? I'll, I'll drive you into town, Jesus. And Jesus said, no, you don't understand. The only way I get into this car is if I'm driving. And, and, and that's the picture for us. It's like there's nothing we can do to, to earn it. There's nothing we can do to work towards it. But to get it, we have to make Jesus Lord of our life. We have to put him number one. And actually, although there's nothing we can do to earn it, when we make Jesus number one, Actually, what we do find is we do start doing things. There is a faith response. You know, in, in Romans 10.10, 10, it says, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. The, the response of faith is outward. You know, in James 2, it says, show me, show me your deeds or show me faith without deeds. Because faith suddenly finds an expression. And, and in Noah... And I love this about Noah. He went into the ark and he closed the door seven days before it started raining. And I don't know what would have happened. If he'd have not done that, it wouldn't have been faith. If he'd have said, well, well God, I get it, but I'm just going to wait till the water's high enough before I commit to this thing. You know, faith requires commitment. Faith requires a step or a leap of faith. You can't have faith and count the cost. You're all in or you're not in. We're all in or we're not in. So faith is not about works. But faith demands us to have action. And Noah's action was to build an ark. And today, today, God has action for us. If we put our faith in him, we will, because of that faith, begin to live differently. If we put our faith in him, we will see the world differently. We will see our finances differently. We will see our career differently. We will see what we do with our time during the day differently. We won't be trying to work to get God's favor. We won't be trying to work to, to get God to like us or to love us. We're saved from destruction. We understand that. But, but that outworking of faith, and this morning... I just think these God is challenging us in two ways. First of all, he's challenging some of us to say, the way you're living is that you're living in sin. And that will cause you to die. And you can choose today not to live that way. You can choose today to put your faith in me and I will deliver you from that destruction and you will be saved. And I think there's a challenge today to some of us to say, 
You've got to a point now where you know, you know the way you're living is not right. You've never given your life over to me. And you need to do that. And if you do that, I can deliver you from the destruction that you're heading towards. But I believe there's another challenge to us today. For those of us who God says, you know, you're saved. You're, you're in the boat. You know you're heading to me. But there's a level of faith. There's a level of faith that I'm challenging you about today. There's a level of putting into action before you get to count the cost. You know, I believe God's challenging us, just like Noah got into the boat and closed the, the door seven days before it started to rain. There are, there are things in our lives where we need to commit to at this stage. And, you know, maybe as we, we begin to pray at the end of the meeting and, and people come forward, maybe people will, who, who pray with you will have words of knowledge and will speak into your life and say, you know, for you it's this. Or maybe God is speaking into your heart right now that, that as I'm saying, I've got this sense and this burden inside of me that God is saying to some people, there's this area of your life that you need to make that step of faith and you need to say, God, I know it. I'm just going to do it because that's, that's what you want me to do. As I say that, I think one or two of you are going, yeah, for me that means this. But if you've got that sense in your heart, there's something, there's something. I know I need to commit to something. Then we're going we're gonna to worship. We're going to... We're going to just sing and, uh, and worship God. And as we do, people can come up to the front and, and, and we'll pray with them. Um, you know, the last song we sang said, With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. As we sing of the goodness of God, as we rejoice in the fact that we should, we're labelled for destruction, we should be destroyed, but instead, instead we're going to live with God for eternity because of his grace, because of the fact that Christ has covered all our sin. As we, as we rejoice in that, some of us are going to respond to the Holy Spirit this morning. And if that's you and you need to respond, as, as the rest of us are just worshipping, all you need to do is come to the front and someone will pray with you. Let's uh, stand together. Let's come before God. If you've got children, then please go and get them, bring them down for our time. We're just going to go for a few minutes of just worship before God. Please do go and get your children straight away, bring them back in. But let's respond to God in what Mark's saying. There's people here this morning who don't yet know God, and you know that you're headed for destruction. There's only one way out, and that's the person of Jesus Christ who said, not my will, but yours be done. You need to receive Jesus this morning. And as Mark said, there may be response in our hearts that things that we need to do now, action we need to take. I know there's also people here who just know they need more of the Holy Spirit. They need empowering yeah. to live for him yeah. uh, this week and in their lives. So as we pray, could the ministry team come down? And if you want to receive prayer as we worship God, please do come down. We'd love to just pray and stand with you. That's come before.